And welcome to the Double Blue Podcast, episode 13. Not a great number if you're a Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan, but hey, <laughs> we'll never let that one go. Oh, you had to go uh, there. Mike Hogan along with Jeff Johnson, James Wilder Jr., who kind of had a decent game on uh, Saturday against Edmonton, will join us a little bit later on on the program. JJ, how are you doing, sir? I'm well. How are you? Good. Um, now you've had some time to think about it, some water under the bridge after mm-hmm. the final score on Saturday evening against the Edmonton Eskimos. Yes. What's your biggest takeaway? Well, I think the big one, the biggest one is that uh, the outstanding performance that, you know, James Wilder mm-hmm. had. And I mean, you know, I love his response initially. He's like, listen, guys, it's just not, it's not about me. There were some big holes there, mm-hmm. right? That's an offensive line that, that that's creating those opportunities. And then sure, he was making some stuff happen downfield, but it was very exciting to see that unit. Let's not just say one guy, yeah. the offensive unit, move the ball on the ground as efficiently as they did, uh, engaging in those blocks, opening up those holes, and to see what James Wilder could do. I mean, not only did he run the ball, when the ball was thrown to him, he caught it, and he had uh, he had a solid game in the pass blocking too. So I think his performance was, uh, I mean, number one, that was probably my biggest takeaway. If you want to go back and watch the Wilder 76-yarder again, just watch the offensive line. Don't watch anything but the offensive line. You will see a perfect seal block by Tyler Holmes. Yep. You will see Van Zyl take his guy and ragdoll him down the field about 10 yards. Typical. You'll see um, you'll see uh, Campbell again engage his guy perfectly. McEwen again gets inside, and then Jamichael Dean, the right guard, comes around with a kickout block. Mm-hmm. And as James Wilder Jr. said uh, to the media on Monday, Coach Tressman could have run through that hole. And it was it was – what we think the offensive line can be like because when you look at this group on paper it's better than sort of the finished product that we've seen this year and maybe it's just some technique that needs to be fine-tuned by coach Heimbach with with no disrespect to Mitch and the sure. who came before him uh, sometimes a different set of eyes can be a good thing uh, yes uh, yeah they can it can definitely help they see different things you know mm-hmm. they come in and make a couple of tweaks I was most impressed with, I mean, one, what the way the guys were getting off the ball. Mm-hmm. It was great to see them run the ball. You can tell when they're excited. They're excited to do that, right? They're excited but to run the football. They're excited to run the line. football. But I, I love the way J-, J. Michael Dean came around that corner, how tight he stayed to the corner. So when he mm-hmm. takes his, when he drops his left foot to get in the right position to wrap around the center, you, the guard needs to stay tight. And that's difficult to do. Some guys lose too much ground. Especially at that size. That, 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 and that affects the timing, yeah. right? So J. Michael Dean drops the left foot, cuts across. He goes right off the rear end of McEwen, comes around, engages the Will linebacker. As soon as he touches him, Wilder goes by. Yes. The timing of it was impeccable. It was perfect. It looked almost like art, right? And, and I one of the linemen got a hand on Wilder, and that was it. Like it was, For a guy Wilder's size, it was, it was not even a factor. It was oh, it's like a flea, right? Two, I mean, you're, two you're hand not... touch, he's it's still a touchdown. One hand sure. touch, he's down. Two yeah. hand touch, it's still a touchdown. Oh, it, you know, and it's a beautiful thing when that happens. When you're the tailback, you're like, whoo, just licking your chops, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have one particular memory back when I was actually with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There's a few memories, but this one really stood out because it was a moment just like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I took the ball in the backfield. Dwayne Ford was in front of me. Mm-hmm. He engaged with AJ Gas, and Gas just disappeared. <laughs> just disappeared. Ford ate him up, and there was this huge gaping hole, and I ran through, and I ended up with 110 yards on the ground that day. But that is a really exciting moment for a tailback, and that was early in the game mm-hmm. for, for Wilder, right? So that's just like, whoa, here we go, baby. Sets the tone, right? And uh, 
It didn't stop there. You when, know, there was a couple other plays that I, uh, he had some similar success. That's Jeff Johnson. I'm Mike Hogan. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050. I know backs have peripheral vision, but when you see a hole that size, are you expecting something bad to happen? Like, there's got to be somebody here because I don't see anybody. You know what I mean? Like, it's too good to be true. Yeah, yes, yes. It's almost exactly. <laughs> like, we're, okay, where, where's, the, where's the, okay, there's got to be somebody around here. Well, Yes, that that can often be the case. If you're if you're certainly caught by surprise, like whoa, this is this is almost too good to be yes. true. But in James Wilder's case, there, good good on him because he didn't hesitate. He just flew through there. He went full speed, and if there was a surprise coming, it was going to blindside him, and he wouldn't have seen it coming. And but that's the way you got to run as a tailback, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to run like you got to run free. You see sure. that hole, you hit it as hard as you can. You've got your you know vision kind of looking everywhere, but your 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 legs are moving forward mm-hmm. while your eyes are, are are kind of scanning, right? And yeah, no, he was uh, yeah. If there was anything coming, I think it would have missed him anyways. <laughs> uh, I wrote I wrote about this for Argonauts.ca. We talked about it on the broadcast after the Wilder run. Biggest smile on the sideline. Guy who didn't wait for him to get to the sideline greeted him on the field. Yes. was Brandon Whitaker. Yes. Um, uh, Tressman talked about what a perfect teammate he is. Uh, everybody has talked about, um, you know, I, I asked Brandon about it. I asked Wilder about it. And they, they both said big brother, little brother thing going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, tough for Brandon not to be in. But, boy, he couldn't have handled it any better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what being a teammate is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're working together. They're, they're talking about, you know, Brandon will share what he sees on a play. James is going to share what he sees on a play. You know, Brandon obviously has quite a bit more experience. And I can guarantee you, in practices leading up to this game, if James saw something or, you know, Brandon did something in practice, James approaches him about it, Brandon will talk about, hey, this is what I did, or this is mm-hmm. what I saw, or James had a play, maybe he struggled with something, Brandon would have said, hey, you know what, next time maybe maybe try this, or push that front side a little mm-hmm. more, and then cut it back, right? And uh, that's just the kind of guy Brandon Whitaker is. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a he is the ultimate team guy. Uh, he under You know, he gets big picture, and sure, he would have liked to have been there, been in there, but at the same time, I can guarantee he was super pumped for his teammate who sure. got an opportunity and made it happen. And, uh, you know, yeah, who's there to give him the biggest high five is Brandon Whitaker. James Wilder Jr., the fourth best rushing day in Argo history. And the Argos have been around for more than a week. Um, That's unbelievable. Know, it, it, when you put it in the historical context and some of the great backs that have played here, uh, that really does speak to how special a day it was at BMO on, on Saturday. But that day... And he yeah. was also the leading receiver in yards. And he was also <laughs> the leading receiver in receptions. Martise Jackson's 125-yard yes. field goal return, missed field goal return, got completely lost in the shuffle. It's amazing. Crazy. Crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> typically that's the highlight. Sure. Right? That's usually the highlight. And especially the Argos the last several years, that yep. is the highlight times five, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we'd be talking about it for weeks. Um, but now it's it's uh, it is no question a significant highlight in the game, mm-hmm. and it's a testament to how the return teams have continued to work hard, continued to improve, and you know Martise was trying to get that corner. He kept trying to reach on the even on other returns. They were trying to set up a wall return, mm-hmm. and on that particular one, he got it. And I was really surprised that he danced along that little. He kind of did that little skate along the sideline again, like he did in Winnipeg. Oh, like he did in Winnipeg, and and in you know what? Great job by Kevin Iben, uh, getting it done on the missed field goal return because that particular play, in my opinion, you should every single time be able to on a missed field goal make it at least to midfield. Sure. If you look at the personnel on the field, you've got defense, defensive players that are mm-hmm. you know frankly faster. Than the majority of you know at least half the offensive players mm-hmm. on the offensive side kicking the field goal 
you've got what seven O linemen. You got guys in for right? protection. Yeah, seven O linemen and a couple of big uh, offset backs that are slots, and maybe one speed guy, and maybe the holder is a good tackler, mm-hmm. right? And uh, wh- although sometimes there's no excuses. That's no. right. Sometimes that's the quarterback. No. So there's really no excuses why you should at least be able to get to midfield. The hard part is getting the buy-in of the defense because you know what? I've seen over many, many, most of the time, the defense thinks it's a playoff. Mm-hmm. They take a break. And then when the ball is kicked, they watch the ball. And then when it's missed, then they activate. Mm-hmm. But it, you know what? I've obviously done a great job of getting the guys to activate immediately to prevent those guys from getting downfield, allowing Martise to catch that ball, see the vision, see the space, see it develop beat hopefully one guy and then it's just off to the races mm-hmm. and uh i think it was J-, J michael dean that was posted at that corner it was uh no it was uh win oh it was win sorry dylan win dylan win dylan win posted on that corner just yeah. kind of sitting there right waiting for martise to come around and he's sitting around the numbers and he knows that all those green and, and gold bodies are going to start coming towards him sure enough they didn't he blocked about three guys yeah, just by being unreal. in one spot right as martise rolled right by him and out the gate, it was beautiful. So here's our here's our invitation to you, in case you're you're not quite sure or you missed what we were talking about. Go to Argonauts.ca, go back, and you'll find the highlights. And when you watch the Wilder run, the 76 yarder, just watch the offensive line play, particularly the right guard. Just watch Jamichael Dean. And then when you watch the Martise Jackson field goal, missed field goal return. Just watch in front of the Argo bench, and you're going to see a rather large man wearing a white jersey with 98 on the back. And watch this defensive lineman, cr- not crush, but set a great low post pick. Sure. And, Doesn't and need to allow be hill- Jackson to tiptoe down the sideline. Doesn't need to be a hellacious block. No. Even blocking like a perimeter, kind of almost proximity blocking, you can block more than one guy. And that ends up being more effective. Get the elbows out and he took out two guys. Yes. You know, yeah. the guys have to run around that big frame, mm-hmm. right? And uh, if they take the wrong side, Martise is so quick that he's out the gate. Mm-hmm. Hoagie, one more takeaway I wanted yes. to just kind of address from the game. Yep. And it was in the, I think, the final drive. Mm-hmm. The fact that the offense went out there, there was quite a bit of time left on the clock, and they were able to to kill it. The Cody Fajardo sneak attack. That was huge. Nobody's right? no we didn't see that coming. Like no. we kind of we expected Ricky and I look up and it's it's Cody Fajardo. I liked it. And if we were surprised as guys who occasionally get to practice. Sure. What do you think Edmonton? Edmonton wasn't ready for that. They're expecting 15 out there. Personnel's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Cody Fajardo hauls rear end around the corner and ends up with a I think a 17 or 20 yard run. Well, Cody comes out along with James Wilder that's, you know, 190 yards rushing on the ground. Yeah. Who do you think they're watching? They're watching James. Sure. And forget about, oh, that quarterback in there. That guy can run. He's pretty fast, too. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I, I really like the call to bring in the balance with Cody and Ricky. And and uh, and they executed well. And you know what? That that was, a, uh, that was a, I think, a good sign of how this team is progressing. Because th- that can be difficult. At the mm-hmm. end of a game, when a team, that game is eight, you know, Edmonton's eight points behind. Yeah. They're pressing. Their defense needs to do something. So mm-hmm. it's not like they've just shut it down. Their defense needs to make a play. And on that Edmonton sideline, they're screaming. We need to do something. So they're getting off the ball hard. I can guarantee it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Argos were able to kill the clock, I think that shows a lot. When we come back, uh, James Wilder Jr., the man of the match, as it were, on Saturday will drop by and uh, we'll talk to him. Not specifically. We'll get into a little bit about the game on Saturday, but this is more of a get-to-know-you session for those who don't know uh, the Florida State product who had a spectacular NCAA career. And uh, hopefully for the Argonauts, we'll have one here as well. And he certainly whet the appetite with that game on Saturday. So James Wilder Jr. up next as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast.
And welcome back to the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan with you here uh, on uh, TSN 1050 and uh, online as well. Our guest today had not a bad day on Saturday against Edmonton. 190 yards and uh, led the team in catches, led the team in receiving. James Wilder Jr. on the line. James, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. So you look pretty grounded this week. I thought there might be a little look at me, look at me, 190 yards, follow the running back. None of that this week, though, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely not. Uh, definitely not, man. Um, like I said, it, it's hard to take credit from what, what's been done and the statistics out there on the field once you see uh, the, the great job that the O-line's been doing out there. Um, I think I've said it one or two times that I feel like uh, pretty much anybody – could have got the yards that I got out there on the field um, with the great job that the online uh, has been doing out there on the field. Did you notice a difference uh, in technique, a, a difference in, I don't know, um, attitude of the O-line going in? It was tough. You, you change one coach to another. Sometimes that helps, sometimes that hurts. And they knew going in that there was going to be a little more emphasis on the running game, which they love. Uh, did you see the guys come into a little, I don't know, stepping a little bit quicker as they uh, went out onto the field? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like you said, it, it was a um, new coaching change, and I think they responded well to the new coach uh, that came in, Coach Jaime. And, um, I mean, they, they looked forward to when we had the plan that we were going to run the ball and attack it on the ground, and that was the plan to play hard-nosed football, and they responded very well to it coming into the game, and we finished well running the ball as well. When I started watching you in the preseason, I suspected your first touchdown would be, I don't know, one, two yards, you know, dropping the shoulder, running over somebody, not a 76-yard gallop. Um, (laughs) Take us through that play, what you saw, and when you knew that you were gone. Um, Yeah, okay, well, um, we're, you know, we're far away from the end zone, and, um, you know, I see the backside linebacker pinching in, and we've been watching Sim, and we knew once he once he comes up to the line, if I could break break from the first level, break the first level of defense, that nobody else would be there. So we had a we had a puller come around, and it was a great he had a great pickup block the front side. They sealed their guys and sealed off the edges uh, very well. And um, I think I had one arm tackle to run through, and after that, I mean nobody was there. It was just, it was just running and be, beating everybody else to the end zone. Jeff Johnson and I talked about this, uh, my color commentator, and he played running back for 14 years in the league. And I asked him, you know, when you see a hole that big, do you almost think that it's a mirage, that you're kind of looking around saying, man, there's got to be somebody here? (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. I mean, like you said, um, um, when the line makes a big hole like that, it's usually – you're looking around like somebody has to be here. It's it's too good to be true. It It can't be a hole this big, but – I mean, that's, that's how it ended up being. I mean, I looked to my left, looked to my right. I really didn't see anybody, and I knew I couldn't hold up. I knew I was let me get to the end zone while, while they had got this hole open right now because those holes can shut down quick. They can close on you quick. So I'm like, let me get to the end zone and uh, celebrate with the team, celebrate with my old linemen. And they did a great job on it, and it worked out well. What are you going to do with the ball? I kept the ball. I kept the ball. I'm going to put it, um, take it back to my dad's house. I keep all my trophy my cases at my dad's house. Uh, in Florida, and I'm going to add it to the collection. We uh, we talked about this. Uh, I wrote about it for the for the website as well. But uh, for those who didn't hear the full interview, I'd like to talk about your relationship with Brandon Whitaker. And as great as your story was on Saturday, there's also the sad side, which happens in pro football on a regular basis, where a very popular guy oh, yeah. is out of the lineup, a new guy, a new popular guy, the fans all love you. 
but there's only room for one guy. It's not like he can play four running backs at the same time. Um, what's your relationship right, been right. like with Brandon, and and how? Uh, what just you know underscore how good he was with the uh, with the change in the lineup. Um, I mean, me and Brandon's relationship is uh, we're we're very tight. We're very close. He's uh, you know, he, he's been like a big brother since me coming into this league, not knowing too much about it, not knowing any of the rules, nothing about the game at all. Mm-hmm. Um, stepping foot here and playing here in the CFL and. But the whole situation that, that's going on, like you said, you know, you can't have everybody playing. I mean, it has to be somebody. Um, he, he's not that guy to pout, you know, or, or look down or talk to me like, oh, that should be me or anything like that. Of course, as a competitor, you know, everybody wants to play. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a little frustrating. But we've, we've talked plenty of times and stuff. And he knows that's how the game goes. And he, he's just telling me a story of when he first took a role. I mean, that's every eventually everybody – career blossoms and um, that's what happens and we know that we're going to let the coaches make the decisions and we're just going to you know keep our same relationship not not let anything bother our relationship and still with with him with me being on the field and him being off the field I mean he, he's like a he's like a personal coach and um, you know I don't let one thing from him goes and go in one ear and out the other because you know he's actually out there on the field he's been successful in this league for a very long time so I try to take in everything that he teaches me and um, put it out there on the field, and uh, like you can see, you can see it when the success that I'm having on the field. He's one of the first guys to to come chest bump me and meet me. There's no like jealousy or anything going on, and that says a lot about his character and his leadership. Um, there's no NHL hockey in Tallahassee. We get that where he went to university, but you went to your first <laughs> hockey game here in Toronto. You didn't go to a game in Buffalo, so let me ask you, what no. was your what was your first experience like with an NHL game? The first experience was great. The atmosphere, it was a, the fact that it was a preseason game that I didn't know about and the atmosphere was how it was, you know, packed out how it was. And it, it was a great experience. I, I was able to catch a fight, you know. I, get, I, I don't know how often that happens in the hockey game, but that, that, was pretty, that was pretty awesome to be able to watch that. And um, it was a great experience. We had great seats right up on the glass. And um, I, I had I had a great time. I had a great time. It was a great experience. What surprised you the most, uh, sort of knowing a little bit about hockey, but not ever having been to a game live before, especially where you were sitting? Um, I mean, there were the fans were teaching me the rules as we go. Um, once they found, once I did my interview there, and they found out it was my first hockey game. And um, I mean, really, the fighting. I didn't know. I mean, I knew they fought and stuff, but I didn't know the fans really cheered on. I thought it was kind of frowned upon. Uh, once the players fight, so I'm like, man, oh, here, here they go, they're gonna fight, and then I hear everybody, you know, start to cheer. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of the loudest guys out there cheering, um, <laughs> cheering them on, watching them fight. That was that, that was pretty cool to be able to, you know, they scrapped it out for about 15 seconds. That that, that was pretty fun to watch. Awesome, James Wilder Jr. joining us here on the Double Blue Podcast. Um, when did you realize you were pretty good at football? When did I realize I was good at football? Um, like, were you? Were, was it in high school? Was it before high school? Pop Warner? When did you really figure out you were okay at this? It was always. I think it was always a disadvantage because I was always uh, bigger than my my age group. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I mean, I always stood out size wise, stuff like that. But I mean, I guess not until you know, really high school when they start giving you rankings and stuff like that. They were giving me five stars and stuff. That's when I said, okay, I guess they're. You know, I mean, I guess they're, they're, you know, they're telling me I'm good and stuff. But my, 
main thing was always try to be better and, you know, keep myself humble. Um, but, I mean, they've been telling me for a long time that I was good and this and that. But I try to block it out and just always do the best I could do. You, you obviously came in with a blessing and a curse at the same time, I guess, because you were James Wilder's son, which is great because, you know, you obviously have a great relationship with your dad. Um, you know, you get to learn oh, yeah, football sure. from a very good guy. But, you know, at, at, you're always going to be looked at at a young age as James Wilder Jr. Do you remember the first time that somebody <laughs> came to you and looked and, you know, you started feeling that maybe you were stepping out from your dad's shadow when people were looking at you as uh, a separate entity, just not the son of a, of a, of a football great? <laughs> I don't think I made that step yet. <laughs> Stuff yet. Definitely living in Tampa, Florida. Um, since I've been playing football, I don't think I ever did an interview yet without my dad being brought up. Or, you know, I mean, I haven't made that step to get up out of his shadow yet. Especially having the same exact name, same position, same yeah. same number. It doesn't it doesn't bother me though. I mean, I think it's it's a blessing to be able to, you know, have not just a father figure, but my my actual father being in my life. And, but um, but at the same time, but at the life, same time, right when I, you. At the same time, when you start getting offers, right, they're not offering right. the scholarship to James Wilder Sr. They're looking at you as being right. you, you know, and the talent that you had become. Do you, do you remember, like, the first time that you went, wow, um, okay, I'm, I'm my own deal here. I'm, I'm just not James Jr. anymore. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and that, yeah, in that aspect, for sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. When you, when, you start getting, when you start getting scholarships and stuff like that, you know, it's serious. It's not... You know, nobody's going to offer you scholarships just because of who, who your dad is. So that's when I know, you know, okay, this isn't happening just because, you know, my dad, I'm actually getting offers from schools, you know, in Cal- everybody, you know, everybody in, in the States. And, I mean, that's when I start to realize, okay, this they wouldn't all just be giving me scholarships just because of my dad. So that's when I knew that I started making a name, a name for myself, which happens to be the same name yeah. as well, but a name for myself. <laughs> How many schools, when they offered you a scholarship, were offered in you, were interested in you as a running back first, and how many were interested in you as a linebacker first? I had everybody interested. I had every school. I had every offer from everybody except for Texas. And I actually reached out. I remember me and my high school coach, we reached out to him to try to get the scholarship just to have that accomplishment to be able to say that I was offered by everybody in college and they still wouldn't offer me for some reason. And, um, but I have mostly um, Florida State offered me for running back from the get-go. And Georgia and Alabama were the three main schools. I had a lot more offers at running back. I have plenty, but those were the schools that, that I felt like very sincere before I even said that I was going to play running back because, you know, all the way up until my junior year, it was a big question mark if I wanted to play running back or linebacker and be playing both. And um, those guys, uh, Saban, uh, Coach Fisher, and uh, Mark Ritt, they, you know, they, they all wanted me at the running back from the get-go. When the question mark was there, they all said they think they seen something special and, um, and that, at that running back position for me. Rivals.com, the website, had you listed as the number one high school prospect in the United States. Do you remember where you were when you <laughs> found out about that? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I actually do remember. Um, we're had it um i'm at plant high school and they announced it on the morning show i usually don't i mean i'm i am uh i'm a social media guy but uh i i didn't i didn't look into that i didn't really know that until i heard it on the morning show 
was a big uh, congratulations. Um, I think it was my sophomore year, going into my junior year, um, when they told me I was the number one player in the nation. So uh, that's a, that's a thing that I that I've looked at, and, and you know, you feel good about it. You know, you're, you're a 17 year old kid. You're like, wow, they're telling me I'm the best in the world. You you got you know, it's talent everywhere, but they're them to tell you that you're the best in the whole country. Yeah, you're gonna feel good about yourself, but at that point, you know, you, you got to keep yourself humble. You're like, oh man, I can't be content. I, you know, I gotta put I gotta push more. And it, you, you get excited as a competitor. I'm telling you, you're number one in the nation, and you 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 knowing you can do better. You know, you can do more. Um, that's the exciting part uh, about it all. Why Florida State? With all of the offers that you had, why did you become a Seminole? Florida State, like I said, Florida State, man. When I went there, it felt like home, man. It was, it was in state. Um, the it's three hours and forty-five minutes away from, from my hometown. Um, Coach Fisher, you know, Coach Fisher had everything going there. We had a lot of recruits coming there. We had the number one recruiting class coming in, and like I said, Coach Fisher, he, he wanted me at running back um, from the get-go. You know, it's, 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 you know, you get a lot of people that get that come into college and they switch your position, but Coach Fisher wanted me at running back from the get-go. Um, he kept his word, and, and, it, and it was it was close to home, and it was it, it worked out great. We got the, you know we got the national championship, but I, I just it just felt. It just felt like home when I when I visit visited Tallahassee. One thing that everybody who goes through the NFL grinder and you you got caught up in that as well. Guys who are just you know are, are so close to being able to start and yet just can't find that break. And a lot of them come up here and they play and they go, "Man, I got my love for football back coming up to the CFL." Do you find yourself in that spot right now? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean that that's the biggest thing that I wanted to do. You know, like you said, I I went in the NFL. Uh, the first team that I've been on, I'm I'm behind two second-round draft picks. and You know how that goes. It's like no matter really almost what you do, those the, the team's going to get their money worth out of those guys first before you really even get your shot. And uh, the second team I've been to, I was behind a pro bowler and another some more great players as well. Um, not taking anything away from those guys, but they're great players as well. And I was just like, man, I just need to find my find my image back, and I'm ready to – Start having some fun again, you know. Even when I was on the teams, I wasn't playing much. You know, I just want to find my love for the game back again. It's been a long time. I love this game. You know, I'll live and die for this game. And once I came up here, I, I found it. I found it. I mean, even when I first started off, it's only special teams. But I have no problem with any position that I'm playing on the field. I'm always a guy who just always loved football. I grew up my whole life playing every position. So. A position never – I really never categorized myself into one position until I was forced to. But now that since that happened, I mean, I just love playing football, period, at any position. Uh, final point before we let you go. You've got Montreal this week. We wish you luck. But now that you've run for 190, like, we're going to expect this every week. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I already know. I already know. Yeah, everybody – if, if 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 I come up short of 190, it's, it's going to be a flop. So my main, my main goal is just to make sure I don't flop. And keep trying to put up those high numbers, man. Like I said, I mean, we're very confident with our run game. That that gave us a big confident boost in our run game, and um, that's exactly what we needed um, coming into a game, big game like this. And right now, we're we're taking it day by day, and we're working on everything we could do to make sure we can keep this run game going. And wow. like I said, it's, it's on my shoulders again to see how, you know, see what we could do with the run game again. So I mean, I take it. I take the challenge uh, to not come up short and. 
let that be a lucky game, as uh, some people would say, and stay consistent with it. Whether it's 190 and all those receiving yards or whether you're a decoy and everybody else is getting fed, hey, a win's a win, right, partner? The team win first. There you go. You got it right Absolutely. there. I don't J- care. I can get I can get anything. Long, hey, long as we get the team win first, man. I I, I really I'm not I'm not really a stat guy as much. You know they they bring it up. It's good. It's a big accomplishment to get the stats, but I'd rather have I'd rather have five yards in a team win instead of 190 or 250 yards with a with a team loss. So team win first for sure. Perfect attitude. Thanks for doing this, my friend. Uh, go get Montreal, and we'll do this again soon. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. That's James Wilder, Jr. of the Argos. We'll come back and preview the Montreal game as J- uh, Jeff Johnson pops back in as we continue the Double Blue Podcast. And welcome back to the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan and Jeff Johnson with you. And uh, our thanks to James Wilder, Jr. What a game he had on Saturday and a rather talkative young man. <laughs> Very excited, and one can understand why after that performance Unreal. he had against Edmonton. So now it's Montreal. Divisional game, 7 o'clock Saturday night. And uh, this is essentially a playoff clincher for the Argonauts. We'll get into the math a little bit later on. But it's also pure later tackle hunger night. Yes. Uh, which has been such a spectacular campaign, not only because it worked short term, but the staying power of this thing has been astronomical. And the response of CFL fans across the country, top-notch. Millions and millions of pounds of food. It's amazing. Been raised for, raised for uh, food shelters and, and, and uh, just that you know, um, the, the needy yeah. across the country. Well, Hoagie, it's incredible. You know what? I mean, there's there's people that go home and they don't have food on the table, sure. right? And they, there's a, such a need for this. And it's incredible the way the country has got behind this initiative. And, um, you know, Chris Schultz is, is a huge advocate Absolutely. for this. And, and he's spoken several times about, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, you know, you feel like, imagine, you know, people go through tough times, but yeah. imagine having a few kids at home and, not being able to put the food on the table so that that they're okay and that they yeah. have to have to go to bed hungry. Yeah. Like I, I can't, you know, I, I'm very thankful that I, we're not in that situation, and sure. I can't imagine how that would how I would feel having to uh, be in that situation with my kids. I went through that situation once as a as, when I was single. I can't imagine having to do that with a family, and it is a vital part of our community. And if you're coming to the game on Saturday night, just throw some non-perishable food Load items up. in and, and bring in and bring down a bag or two and. Um, just be proud that you're able to be associated with such a fantastic, fantastic venture. Um, Montreal comes to town. Montreal has made a coaching change in midstream. Doesn't often work, um, but, but Kavis Reed is in. Uh, Chapdelaine is out. You were through two of these, right? Mm-hmm. You were with uh, Echeverry? Yep, in 2002. And then uh, Stubler when he was replaced by the Don. Yes, yeah. In it, 08 or whatever year that was. It can be very difficult, Hoagie. Yeah. I mean, it can be very difficult. Uh, you know, you take a coach out, let alone two coaches. Mm-hmm. Thorpe's out as well in Montreal. Which stunned me. To be honest, it baffles me. Yeah. I mean, that that particular case, and we can talk a little more about that after, but uh, just considering his track record on defense. Um, but, yeah, it can be very difficult to internally uh, from a support team. Have, you know, having a Being able to implement the next you know, game's playbook, um, are you going to, you know, move away from the, the the offense and defensive schemes that the previous coaches had implemented? Um, how are you going to adjust those formats and, uh, you know, implement them, call the game with the same knowledge that those coaches may have had? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how do you, 
often, and one thing that Adam Rita did when, when he took over back in 2000, uh, 2002, he didn't take over, but he became our offensive coordinator. Yes. And he did a great job of, of just simplifying things. I remember you know, him walking into the room and said, guys, we've got an offensive, uh, we've got some coaching changes, and I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, I don't, to be honest, I'm going to be upfront with you. I did not understand the offense as well as I, I'd like to right now because it, in the best case or scenario, we can keep the same offense and keep rolling. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I don't know it well enough. So he's like, so I'm going to make it very simple. But so it, he, he went very, he went essentially back to basics. He, he went with about a dozen or so, 20 plays that were simple. Guys could remember them. And to be honest, we went out and won the next couple of games. So um, I think it was a smart move going back to just, you know, simple, go back to fundamentals and, and finding something that the guys can grab onto and they can still be successful. Well, the other great thing in that instance, and this is not a knock on Cavis at all, who's another in- incredibly likable dude, but um, Adam Rita had the perfect perfect personality to come in and make that adjustment midstream because he was he was easy going. He had a bite when he needed to, but for the most sure. part, he was pretty easy going. And you know, he wouldn't panic. That, that, that players coach kind of thing. And yeah. Just, okay, th- everything's good here. That's right. And lead by his demeanor. Yeah, he'd pull a guy up under his wing and say, "Listen, we've got this." You know, say so grab the leaders and say, "Guys, I need you to get behind this right now. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm trying to implement. If I can get you on board, and if, if with you on board, you're going to help me pull everybody else on board." And if everybody, at least, if you can get 12 guys on offense, 12 guys on defense, and 12 guys on special teams, mm-hmm. believing in what we're doing, regardless of whether it's a good plan or not, if they all believe in it, you got a good chance of yeah. being success- successful. So Rita was very good at that, very good at reaching the guys. And, and our transitions were, you know, that one was uh, not too difficult. So as we, you know, full disclosure here, if you're listening on TSN 1050 on, uh, on Saturday afternoon, um, we're putting this together before Friday. So we don't know what happened with the Friday night games. But, yes. uh, you know, so we don't know if the Argos are one or three points behind Ottawa heading into this game. We do know, though, that they are four points ahead of Montreal. And with six games left, this game becomes vital. It's if massive. the Argonauts can win, they win the season series, and all of a sudden you're up six points with five games left. No, Alouettes are done. Just they're done if they lose this because they're not good enough to put that kind of winning streak together. And, you know, they would have to count on the Argos to lose out essentially. Yeah, this is uh, it's a huge game, Hoagie. And because of that fact, makes them very dangerous this weekend. Okay. Right? It makes them very dangerous this weekend. Again, regardless of their coaching changes, them knowing that this could potentially be it for them. Mm-hmm is going to have them, you know, given it, right? And sure. uh, I, I believe we're expecting Durant possibly at QB, That's right? As, as early indication in the week was that they were going to stick with him instead of making the flip to Drew Willie. But I would assume, and I hate the term, you know, how long is the leash on the quarterback? But if you want to use that cliche, um, I would say a very short leash this week because they made the flip at halftime to Willie last, or, or in the second quarter last week to Drew Willie. And I'll be honest, I don't like that. Because what's going on in Durant's head then? Sure. He knows that if he doesn't uh, – listen, I, I understand you want to play a, place a little bit of pressure, a certain element of pressure on your quarterback. But he was terrible. You know, Darian Durant's had a, he's had a really good career in his league, and I'm sure he's got good days ahead of him as well. Yeah, but Hogue, is that all – He was terrible is that all? Sunday. Is that all Durant's fault, though? There's a lot of different things going on. Understood. Right? But there were a they lot changed, of open They changed the offensive just, coordinator. Yeah. They, they're changing the plays. They're changing – you know, things are – his reads are changing. Yeah. Right, the receivers are. Who knows? Yeah, it might have been open, but were they supposed? Were they open in the yeah. right spot? And right. And again, that's why you know me. When when there's an interception, I never blame the quarterback. I never blame the receiver right. because I don't know what the play call was. Right. And I don't know if the receiver didn't get to the right place. The quarterback threw the right ball. The sure. easiest thing to do is blame a quarterback because he's the last guy to have the football. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I sure. I will never blame a quarterback. I will never blame a receiver. But there were a lot of open receivers, and again, I don't know what the uh, what the route was. Mm-hmm. But you know, to the layman, boy, he missed a lot of open targets. Well, so on that, if mm-hmm. this game he has a similar uh, you know lack of success, I would say maybe it was on Durant then, because now sure. he's got another week to prepare with the changes in place. And I, you know, he's a very you know he's a veteran QB. He's a mm-hmm. smart guy. If anyone's going to pick it up, he's going to pick it up. So uh, again. Uh, you know, if it's a repeat performance, I exp- like kind of to your point, he probably does get a quick hook because maybe it, it is partly on him, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, with another week to prepare, I bet you he's a little more successful this week. And I and I would expect the Owls to be decent on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know what we can expect there because, in my opinion, they got rid of one of the best defensive coordinators that has you know part you, of the CFL for a long time. When you look at Montreal's problems, and this is to your point, when you look at Montreal's problems over the last few years. Yeah. Has it been with the defense? No. No. And they, and they made some That's uh, how they've been winning. And they've made some questionable personnel decisions. Sure. And the Argonauts are very happy that number forty eight is playing middle linebacker yeah. after being released first day of camp. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> thank you, Montreal Alouettes for Bear Woods. Yes. I still don't understand that. I I understand the concept behind it. But you better be sure. Sure. Right? They wanted to go younger, they wanted to go cheaper. Mm-hmm. And you have to be sure if you're letting somebody who's coming off a season where he was the best defensive player in the East. Yeah, you know what? The younger, cheaper, that's great. I understand that. But what about the leadership that a guy like that brings? Sure. And that that's kind of what I see maybe where they're starting to just kind of crumble yeah. a little bit is, is in that department. And again, Thorpe has been an outstanding defense coordinator, not because I know him personally, but because his per, per, his results oh, were very for good. Speak Absolutely. for themselves. The several years, their defenses, you go in there, and you know Montreal was going to be competitive regardless of who was at QB because their defense would make plays. And they had linebackers and defensive linemen on a rotational basis. Incredibly come physical. Out of nowhere, yes. And you go, who's that guy? And all of a sudden, he's got you know 10 sacks at the midway. It was like the Argos defense this year. Yes. Right? That's kind of how Next man up. Thorpe's been consistent. So that was a bit of a surprise. But um, again... There is the wild card factor that uh, Montreal's got their back against the wall. So that being considered, you, you, you're not sure what team uh, is going to come flying out. The Argos have to bring it because this, like you said, this is a huge, this is a playoff game in the middle of the season. If I say the Toronto Argonauts season 2005, what comes to mind? Give me kind of a refresher course of what 05 was like. 05, geez, well, we just won the, the Great Cup in 04. Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, was that the Ricky year? Ricky was 06. Ricky was 06. Ricky was 06. So it was, a, it was the sandwich year. So this just gives you a time frame of how long ago that was. Sure. It's the last time the Argos beat Montreal in a season series. Get lost. And a win against the Alouettes on 2005. Saturday. 2005. 2005. Um, part of that reason was some head coach, Mark Trestman. Who? Um, <laughs> his record against the Argos in the regular season was 13-3. and three. Come on. So, yeah, he kind of had the number. And let's let's face it, there were Jeez. great teams in Montreal with Tressman. Mm-hmm. There were really good teams in Toronto over those years when Tressman was there. So uh, to put up that kind of uh, Very impressive. winning percentage is, is, is something else. So, uh, you know, 12 seasons ago, 13 seasons ago, 12 years ago, um, that's the last time the Argos won a season series against Montreal. Well, long overdue. Oh, and that's why long, that win. Long overdue. Of all of, the, of all of the games that I have called and all of the games that I have been a fan of when I wasn't calling the games of the Argonauts, the 2012 Eastern Final meant so much because it was Isn't that it awesome? team in that building. Yes, yes. With yes. that comeback, <laughs> right? Like, it, in previous years, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, my you know? goodness. Well, so, I don't know how many times oh. going in there. 
You walked in with the roar and you left with the roar. And it drove me crazy because the place was so loud. It would be roaring when with you went those in. horns. Uh, and the, the, yeah. the bloody thunder sticks yeah. would be clapping away. And right I'd look at the guy next to me and, and I couldn't hear what he was saying. Yeah. It was sign language all afternoon, yeah. evening. And so, and we'd be walking out with our tails between our legs and the place would still be roaring. But in 2012, yep. you're right. That moment was unbelievable as the place went silent and all the thunder sticks broke and deflated. Yep. And Marcus <laughs> Ball with the two picks in the Incredible. second half. And Cackert with that great play. Incredible. Just off the right side, just fantastic. But what a rivalry between the Argos yeah. and Montreal. Like it's been, it's been, it's been a good one. So this, uh, yep. you know, again, absolutely. I can tell you one thing: is it, it is, regardless of who's been winning or it's lopsided or not, it's always physical. Yeah, and this oh, is going to be absolutely. really physical. And this you know, Montreal's really bringing some fans down. They always do for the Saturday games uh, in in Toronto. So uh, a bit of a challenge to get some more bums in the seats. Boy, it was loud at BMO. When the when yes. the crowd needed to bring the noise, like yeah. when you see Mike Riley cupping his ears and, and not being able to hear in his helmet, the, it's got a great design in BMO because oh. it holds the sound in yes, there, right? Absolutely. So uh, bring the noise, bring more people, and 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 let's see what happens. Again, the math is simple. If the Argonauts win, um, they'll be three wins up with five games left and win the tiebreak. So what would have to happen is the Argonauts would have to go winless, and the Alouettes would have to go four and one, and that ain't happening. That's not happening. on either side. So a win on Saturday night all but assures the Argonauts, unless something really weird happens, of a playoff spot. So this is the, it's time for the fans to step up and bring your playoff noise. Beautiful. I love so it. So that's happening. Um, what else do we have here? Was there anything in, uh, in retrospect that we haven't touched on here? We got Martinez. I think we got everything covered No, here. I think we got it. That's good. I think we got yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. You called the win last week. I was a bit off with the score. You were off with the score. I wasn't going to go there. Like I, we were in the booth beforehand, and I said, you know, it's kind of I, I'm thinking 38-35, and you were saying what 28-7 or something like that last yeah, week. Yeah. Uh, so you saw the defense stepping up. It looked you looked good early until that sort of last ten minutes of the game, when Edmonton put together a couple of scores late and made things more than a little interesting. Yes. Uh, but uh, for three quarters, uh, three and a half quarters, the defense was uh, was really good against a quarterback that lit up Calgary the week before for, what, 400 and whatever yards? Like, he had a field day. Yeah. Um, they did a nice job. They with, did. With all of the changes. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, now we see Cleon Lang and Victor Butler with a game underneath, get their legs back a little bit. I expect nothing but better things out of them this week. Yeah. Um, you know, the Argos lost the turnover battle and won the war. And that was that was, never was happens, a record, so. like three and thirty-seven or something like that. I think you're right, you're pretty close. Yeah. You're pretty close in the last so forty games. That so. doesn't happen, right? Yeah. And they and they lost the penalty yes. battle as well, right? Like, so they got they, they they made enough mistakes. It was not a pristine game by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but this team is showing that it has enough to win, even when they don't play perfect football. Timing is great. And that means a lot heading yeah. into this part of the schedule. So, Alouettes uh, in town, and I need the prediction. Who wins? Well. I don't think the boat's pretty shaky in Montreal. Yeah, the boat's pretty shaky. Uh, I think this is going to be. Uh, I think the Argos are going to hammer them pretty good. This is a one. That's what I'm feeling. It's going to be a one-sided affair. I believe for Montreal to stay in it, they're going to have to get a bunch of bounces. Argos are going to have to turn the ball over, and they're going to need a big play from special teams. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I really think the Argos are going to probably be in the high 20s. I expect Montreal under 10. Perfect. So uh, we will see you at the barn on seven o'clock. On Saturday night, the Alouettes and the Argonauts. How do we do, Jacob? That's our producer, Jacob. Dear love, he uh, he said we did okay again. So thirteen up, he thirteen down. 
so far, so good. So we'll do this again next week. Enjoy the game. You can hear it on TSN 1050. Uh, for Jeff Johnson and for Jacob Dearlove, I'm Mike Hogan. Thank you for listening to the Double Blue Podcast.